Welcome to Circus Futures European Circus Conversations, a series of podcasts featuring traditional and contemporary circus professionals from across Europe. My name is Laura Murphy. I'm a UK-based contemporary circus artist and a Circus Next laureate. This podcast features David Dimitri, high wire walker, circus performer, producer, and the artistic director of Winterfest in Austria. I'm David Dimitri. I'm a circus performer and I have my own one-man circus that I'm traveling around the world with. I am the son of Clown Dimitri, who many of you might know because Clown Dimitri has traveled around the world and started his new style of clowning back in the 60s. He now passed away, but here I am continuing the performing arts together with my sister Masha and I have another sister Nina who is also in this field. She's a musician, a singer-songwriter and also an actress. And I grew up in a very colorful, artistic family. My grandparents were already artists. A grandfather was an architect and sculptor. I have another grandfather who was a sculptor and jewelry maker. And my grandmother was doing handcrafted objects. And I grew up in this environment of, of the arts, being around performers. My parents in the 70s created a theater called Teatro Dimitri in the southern part of Switzerland. It still exists. We're actually celebrating our 50th anniversary this year. It's historic because in the 70s it was really the only theater in this area. My parents were pioneers in that sense because they created something that didn't exist. And I got into circus through my father, really, because he showed me this incredible, magnificent, fascinating world of performing in a totally different way. He was always introducing circus into his plays also that he directed. And so the whole work around Dimitri was already marked by this integration of circus also, at that time, circus didn't have this recognition as being a art form as it is today. We're still struggling with this in some countries. I think Switzerland is one of those countries where just now it starts to get this recognition and, and where um, also there's some funds now being created from the government that will sustain the circus. So my father, although being a more theatrical clown, you know, the type of clown that is more poetic and it's not the cliché clown, you know, sometimes with the red nose or the big shoes or bright colored hair, he was more a fine clown. He didn't use words. Sometimes he did use his voice, but he did not talk in his performance. So it was a, it was a unique way that everybody understood and through this work of my father's, he suddenly was approached by a traditional circus, our Swiss national circus, which is Circus Knie. They got the word that this clown is different and they, they had this idea of bringing my father on tour with the circus. So I was seven years old at the time and me and my brothers and sisters, we all joined the circus with my dad. And so we toured nine months around the country. 
and it was so amazing. It, it just got to me. I, I wanted to be part of this fascinating circus world. And luckily, like two years later, Circus Knie asked, asked my father to, to come again. I think it, it worked really well for them. Like people wanted to see this, this clown that emerged like this from nowhere <laughs> in, in the beginning of the 70s. And so we went back and I was nine years old then the second time we went to Knie. And this is really where I started to train and, and, and I was taking lessons from Bela Cremo, for example, from the Cremo family, actually the father of Chris Cremo, because they were on the show and there was Freddy Xu. Some of you might know it's a Chinese um, acrobat, but uh, raised in, in Germany. And he comes from a big Chinese acrobatic family. And I learned a lot from him, acrobatics. Then there were the Nicolodis on this tour also. Actually, Nicolodis were in, in the 70s, the first tour, but they taught us a lot of, of things. Sometimes, you know, not very, in a, in a very kind way. That was the old school where, you know, they would take the whip out if you didn't do what they told you to do, you know, point your toes and stuff like that. So all of this was like my background in circus, really. I, I really lived this this life and I I can say I grew up a little bit in the circus with, with all these things that you don't learn but you just know you know the whole rules that are unwritten in a circus what you can do what you cannot do it's it's a universe on its own you know living in the circus and then I wanted to really learn the profession and my father said look you need to go to a school maybe you know like I mean Moscow or something so he started to research and that was still in the 70s. I was like in um, the year 77. I left home. I was 14 and Moscow didn't work out. I don't know what the reason was. My father told me, ah, you know, they, they don't want any Swiss people at the moment. But I think it was kind of a, a lie because he was worried for me to be so far away from Switzerland with 14. And so we found Budapest as the next destination, as the closest to Switzerland. There was like little schools like Ani Fratellini, but Ani Fratellini also was really starting out and it was not as professional at all as it is today now. Today is one of the well-known and well-established professional circus schools, but at that time it, it was not really that school that I could learn so many disciplines from. And so there I go to Budapest and I stuck it out there for four years. It was an incredible experience, not easy because it was still, you know, behind the Iron Curtain. And I had to kind of, you know, learn how to survive on my own in the world. It was really fast learning how to manage my life too, not only how to train and, and all that, but it was intensive. I trained mornings and afternoons. And then after the four years, I got an engagement with the Big Apple Circus. I went to Paris to do the festival. It existed at that time already, the Cirque de Demain. It was in a tent from Cirque Grus. Actually, Alexis Grus helped me when I went there with my wire act. He actually helped me set up my wire. And he was like helping me pounding the stakes in the ground. And it, it was just fantastic time. And then the circus director of the Big Apple Circus, Paul Binder, he was, I think, in the jury or he just was visiting the festival. And he right away approached me and says, hey, it would be great if you, if you come to New York. We have a place for you. And I went to New York and I combined 
this time in New York with a joining Juilliard School, which is a really professional, world-known um, performing arts school specializing in music. But they have the dance department and the drama department and the opera department. And so I spent three years at Juilliard. At the same time, I was performing with the Big Apple Circus. And after my Juilliard years, I stayed with the Big Apple Circus, did a little bit of Las Vegas, you know, all that stuff and amusement parks in Florida and, uh, you know, living from day to day and training all day, you know, and doing all kinds of different acts in that Big Apple Circus. And then after like 10 years, I started to think, you know, I was not satisfied with kind of a more technique oriented circus and I had a lot of background, a lot of technique and so I really had this urge of trying to experiment, trying to, to create something on my own, of my own. So I went home to Switzerland and I started to create this crazy idea I had of producing a one-man circus. Off I go on this journey and now to make this kind of long story short, it, it you know, you have to imagine it's over a period of time, over several years I was developing this new show and you know with all the struggles you know it, it didn't work at first and nobody was really waiting for David Dimitri to to you know come up with a new show it was really the contrary nobody really asked for it and I had a hard time to kind of get noticed you know like I was sending my you know my my videos around and and trying to get the attention to producers and festival directors and and as this was difficult it was produced for a stage and I thought the mistake I'm making is that here I am imagining a circus but actually I'm performing on a stage and what if I would get my own circus and then I went to Italy to Anceschi and talked to him about building a circus tent and that all worked out. I didn't quite have the funds. I, I actually was quite broke at that time, but then had some luck and I, I, I had a little money coming in. And I financed this circus with that money. And then here I am. I have a show. I have a circus, but still no engagement. You know, I didn't know where to, where can I perform? And each step in going someplace, setting up the tent, it was really hard because I was alone, I didn't have the money to pay anybody. So the process, you know, was always really time consuming. And I had a family, you know, I had two young children and I had to kind of, you know, manage everything. And it was many sleepless nights. And, and so slowly, slowly I was discouraged and I thought, hmm, this is really not for me. I guess um, I have to think about doing something else, you know, becoming you know, computer engineer or something. And then I thought, okay, before I quit, I'm going to do one more effort and I'm going to go to the Avignon Festival in the south of France. I prepare for this. I go down with my old beaten up truck and set up my tent. And it was combined with different kinds of challenges, uh, like the fire department in Avignon didn't let me keep my tent up because my certifications for the tent they were German and the French didn't honor that so we made a deal they said look you really you you, you have to take this tent down we it's not it's not approved for to be up 
Although, you know, it was brand new. It was like brand spanking new. It was like probably the best tent in Avignon at that time. But okay, the deal was that I take down the tent and I perform my show without the tent, just in the open. And that's what I did. I started my run in, in Avignon, the three-week run. It didn't work at all. <laughs> there was like no audience. I had like the first night was like 15 people. And then it increased a bit, but it remained like 25, 30 people. And for me, it was like clear, okay, look, this is it. I'm going to go home, going to probably sell the tent and then kind of figure out my life. But one night towards the end of the series, that of the towards the end of that run, there was two men waiting for me after the show. I, I kind of saw them during the show sitting there. And I thought, who knows who they are? Turns out that they were managing quite an important festival in France, La Seine-sur-Mer, some people might know here. La Seine-sur-Mer is a little town in the southern part of France, near the, the sea. And their festival is called Janvier dans les étoiles, January in the stars. Of course, I, I come from a family where the arts is, is deep, you know, and, and authentic. And January in the stars sounded a little bit like um, circus dreams, you know. But, you know, that's that's all I, I really had. I didn't know those people. I didn't know the festival. And I just figured, okay, I'll just say yes. It was one of the two guys was actually Michel Almond, who is a, is a great circus man, who I think at its beginnings of, of Knack, he he promoted circus he was one of those motors in in the modern circus in the contemporary circus in france i didn't know that at the time but he was an important man and they invited me to that festival so i waited i stuck those six months out and down i went and i'm telling you this because it's an important aspect of of me still being in the circus it's something that gets to you when when it doesn't work you really start to doubt on you and you start to think, hey, you got to move, boy, you got to do something else because this is not for you. But that festival changed my life. It, it changed everything completely around, something I never even dreamed of and never expected something like this happening. Because when I got there, not only didn't I have to go look for helpers to set up my tent, which I was thinking I would have to do, there was a crew there. When I got there, there was other tents set up there was performers practicing there was this whole institution of, of a festival in full action and my tent was up in no time they helped me certify the tent it was the whole way it was just for me it was luxury and here comes the first night actually my opening night the festival had started and now it's my turn so I prepare everything and shortly before the show I go to the hotel to get ready and as I come back there was a long line in front of my circus so you know already that was like this is for real you know this is this is something is happening and it was packed I started my show and I saw the people were standing in the aisle but it was this kind of audience that you you dream of you know there was silence focused on every move I was making and for the first time I really was able to perform my show the way it's supposed to be and it somehow just started to work out it, it just I felt 
I got the people with me, I got the audience, and the hour went by like in no time, it was like a few minutes. And it was really amazing. The next day, it's not a joke, but I had like 15 propositions on my table to perform in France for the next, you know, year. It was like a dream come true. And this is now 15 years ago. And here I am, you know, of course, the pandemic has, has slowed me down. I haven't performed since um, December 2019. So you see, it's really hit me too. I'm involved in a few other projects. I'm also the artistic director of Winterfest, which is a well-established uh, festival in Austria, in Salzburg. It exists 20 years now. And I'm the president of the Dimitri Foundation, which is a, a performing arts organization that my parents created in Switzerland, in Warsaw, with two theaters, an entire infrastructure for the performing arts. We do residencies and all kinds of good things, exhibitions, concerts. So, but I'm just can't wait for you know to get back into into this uh, performing <laughs> and creating new things. I think uh, the importance for me, the importance of traveling with my circus, the mobility was was very meaningful because I was able to do projects in these 15 years that I couldn't have done if I was not so mobile as I was. I can really pack up, put everything in a truck and just go. And that's what I usually do. And, you know, I live in Zurich uh, and then I just start up the truck and everything is in there and, and I go to my next destination, wherever it is, in Prague or in, in Burgos, Spain, or in or put everything in a container and, and truck it up to, to Rotterdam for a tour in the United States. Put that on a ship and then have it shipped to Miami and from there I would pick it up. And then that's such a great um, thing to have and to know that you really can pick up and go anywhere in the world. Yeah, pick up and, and, and just play for anybody. I can go wherever I, I like. And also being a, a small company, I'm really alone. I don't have a production staff. I don't have technicians. I have That really allows me to be flexible. It's a great plus. Not always, because sometimes you're in somewhere, you know, where you feel a little bit lost, you know, some in the boondocks, somewhere in the province of, a, of some country where you ask yourself, what am I doing here? <laughs> And so, yeah, all this also has to do with innovation. How important it is for me to know that you can at any time change something and innovate and develop research I think most of my work is actually a research research work because I always want to find out something new. I want to keep it in a process that is constantly changing. And I think that that makes it, you know, that, that really makes this kind of innovative aspect of my show. When I think of other examples, for example, Le Cirque Invisible from Victoria and Jean-Baptiste, they're a chaplain and... Jean-Baptiste Thierry, they have this unique show that they have been doing, I think, for their entire life. I don't know, for 40 years at least. But that show changes constantly. And I think it's a little bit like that with my show. I come up with a new idea and I can just put it in the show and try it out. 
or things that haven't worked for weeks and months finally i say there's no sense of keep doing it it doesn't work and and it kind of slows down the show so i just take it out and and replace it with something new that's the story a little bit of of me of of lom sirk that's the name of my show of my visions of my opinion of of circus i think we are in such a incredibly exciting phase in a epoch where so much change takes place and at the same time a lot of recognition from politics and the arts world you know they start to understand and see the potential of circus and so many new performers are coming along young people with with new ideas and and so we are becoming very strong a very strong way of expressing ourselves so that's very exciting for now i hope to see you all in one of my shows and so goodbye everybody thank you for listening do join us for further circus futures european circus conversations this podcast has been supported using public funding by arts council england and is lottery funded Additional funding for Circus Futures activities has been provided by the Creative Europe Programme of the European Union.